Hello, this is Jim Humphrey, author of Live Long and Prosper, and you're listening to Live Well. You know, it'd be irresponsible for anyone to make a blanket statement uh, that disease, uh, implying all diseases, have risen around the globe or even just within the United States. However, with the help of data from the World Health Organization, the Center of Disease Control, and others, it is safe to say there has been a continual rise in chronic diseases since the early 1990s uh, when Asian diseases began to more closely monitor chronic disease. First of all, we need to define what's a chronic disease. Chronic diseases are ongoing, generally incurable illnesses or conditions such as heart disease, cancer, asthma, and diabetes. Even though these are classified as incurable, they are often preventable and most often manageable through early detection, improved diet, regular exercise, and different medicinal therapies. These chronic diseases significantly reduce quality of life and are the leading causes of death and disability within the United States. According to the Partnership to Fight Chronic Disease and the Journal of Environmental Research and Public Health, as of 2018, 133 million Americans, or 45% of the population, have at least one chronic disease. These chronic diseases are responsible for seven out of every 10 deaths within the United States, killing more than 1.7 million Americans every year. If left undiagnosed or untreated, these chronic diseases can be disabling and reduce a person's quality of life. For example, in the U.S., every 30 seconds, a lower limb is amputated as a consequence of diabetes. Again, changing a person's quality of life. I think we could all agree the impact of chronic disease on human life is significant. But secondary to that is the strain these different conditions place on an already overtaxed healthcare system and ultimately resulting in driving up costs for us all. People with chronic conditions are the most frequent users of healthcare in the United States. According to a RAND study back in 2000 and a report uh, dated later in 2018 by the International Journal of Environmental Research and Public Health, chronic care accounts for 81% of hospital admissions, 91% of all prescriptions filled, and 76% of all physician visits. Chronic disease also accounts for the vast majority of health spending within the United States, with an annual total spending on public and private health care just under $2 trillion. That's as of 2016. 75% of this 2016 amount, this little less than $2 trillion, went toward treatment of chronic disease. To put this $2 trillion in perspective, it is the equivalent to $5,300 worth of spending per person within the United States on treatment, which more than doubles what the average American spends on gasoline each year. The burden on, a publicly, on publicly funded healthcare programs represents an even greater proportion of this total spending. For example, more than 99% in Medicare and 83% in Medicaid cost go towards 
the treatment and care of chronic illnesses. Now, let's, let's take a different look at this economic impact, if you will. For example, how is this impacting employers? Hmm. Why are we even thinking about the employer's perspective? Why aren't we just thinking about our individual perspective? Well, because it impacts us all. In the bigger picture, all U.S. employers and employees are paying for this rising cost of chronic disease through increased increases in healthcare costs. In 2019, the Kaiser Family Foundation reported that the average annual premium for employer-sponsored health insurance was a whopping $20,576 for a family of four. <clears throat> for an individual, it was $7,188, which either way is a 54% increase over the previous 10 years. The Society for Human Resources Management, or SHRM, expects the cost to rise another 5.3% this next year in 2021. Again, an additional burden on employers and employees. It's becoming increasingly more difficult for small businesses to adequately care for its employees and families when it comes to health care. In various industries over the past nine years, Time and time again, I've personally witnessed employees declining family member health care due to cost. At the end of the day, it becomes, are we going to eat and pay the bills? Are we going to pay for a potential health care cost that may or may not come? Health care coverage costs uh, cost for people with a chronic condition already existing averages $6,032 annually, five times higher than for those without such conditions. Employers are often faced with the uncomfortable decision of absorbing increased healthcare premium costs or passing the increases on to their employees. Having sat through these annual renewal negotiations with commercial care brokers uh, as a corporate HR director and a senior vice president, believe me, there is no good choice for the employer. It's simply a matter of how much cost can the employer absorb and balance it with the responsibility it has to its employees. The bottom line, chronic diseases are often preventable and frequently manageable. Many of our chronic diseases could be prevented, delayed, or even alleviated altogether through simple lifestyle changes. Uh, the US CDC estimates that if we eliminated just three basic risk factors, poor diet, inactivity, and smoking, that would prevent 80% of heart disease and stroke, 80% of type 2 diabetes, and 40% of cancer. Can you imagine if we all took the responsibility to control our lifestyle with the goal of health, wellness, and longevity in mind? The increase in quality of life and positive economic impact would drastically change our nation's course and that of the world around us. Amazing if we only took individual responsibility. Let's take a look now at one of our nation's fastest growing diseases and one that is projected to have a devastating effect on an over, an, a currently overburdened healthcare system. And that is diabetes. Diabetes is the fastest growing killer of the human race. And I don't say that lightly. Diabetes is the fastest growing killer of the human race. 
According to the International Diabetes Foundation, 90% of all diabetes cases are classified as type 2. As of 2015, the U.S. has the distinction of leading all developed nations as, as the prevalence and leader in diabetes cases. Not exactly the global statistic we want to be number one. USA, USA, USA. No, not exactly. Diabetes is also categorized among the fastest growing autoimmune diseases, both in adolescents and adults. You see, normally when we eat, our blood sugar increases. This is natural. It's the way the body was designed. It causes the pancreas to secrete insulin. Again, natural. It's supposed to happen. A hormone that tells the body's cells to capture sugar and use this for energy. But if you have type 2 diabetes, your body does not use the insulin properly, which is called insulin resistance. The insulin res resistance causes blood glucose or, or blood sugars to rise higher than the normal and also referred to as hyperglycemia. Initially, our pancreas attempts to make extra insulin to make up for the deficiency. It's a vicious cycle because that's how it reads the signals that are coming to it, that there's a continual deficiency. So it continues to make more and more and more. But unfortunately, over time, the pancreas isn't able to keep up with this demand and no longer can make enough insulin to keep our blood glucose levels at a normal level. Now let's look at uh, some interesting diabetes facts for a moment. Most medical doctors and, and researchers today believe that the diet plays a huge role in who forms type 2 diabetes. Well, that's not anything monumental. That's something that actually we've known for quite some time. For example, Americans eat more refined carbohydrates and sugars than the Japanese. Americans have six times higher rate of diabetes than mainland Japanese populations. Hmm. We eat more bad things and we have six times the problems. It's not a really difficult math problem to understand. This is actually a global concern. There are over 400 million reported cases of diabetes worldwide, with the exception that these numbers will rise to over 600 million by the year 2035, according to the International Diabetes Foundation. So in the next 15 years, we're looking to increase by 200 million people per year, those who have diabetes. Again, not something to be proud of and not something to be looking forward to. Normally, this would be classified as an epidemic, but because it's talked about so infrequently, we don't look at it as an actual epidemic because it's tied to so many other things that we enjoy every day, like our food. According to the U.S. CDC, 40% of Americans are currently living with diabetes or pre-diabetic conditions to stay within our national, or well, let's just say, to stay within the initial comparison that I used with Japan, only 7% of adults in Japan have diabetes. So 40% of Americans versus 7% of adults in Japan. I wonder what the cause of that is. Also, it's also reported by the CDC and other agencies that diabetes is now known to decrease our life expectancy by 8.5 years. 
I don't know about you, but I'd like to have that 8.5 years uh, in my future. A 20-year tracking study by the CDC from roughly 1994 to 2015 revealed adult-onset diabetes in ages 18 years and older is accelerating faster each year as our foods become more and more nutrient deficient and carbohydrate and sugar fillers are used. Hmm. Did you did you hear that? Did you hear that connection? 18 years and older, accelerating faster each year as we continue to make our food more and more nutrient deficient. Something we need to continue to think about and something we need to be doing something about. What then are some of the lifestyle risk factors leading to diabetes? Well, what are some of the things we're doing that are causing us or contributing to our uh, onsets of diabetes? Well, at the very top of the list, overweight and obesity. No surprise there. Uh, however, what might be a surprise is this is becoming more prevalent in our nation's youth, almost 18% of our youth ages two to 18 are categorized as obese by the global by the global pediatric health society 18% of our kids now this we should be appalled by this quite frankly this number has doubled in the past 30 years our kids are getting fatter quite frankly and it's tripled in adults you also have a higher risk of contract or uh, developing diabetes if you're age 45 or older and your family history has diabetes. Doesn't necessarily mean that you have it at this current time, but you have a family history of diabetes, which means uh, genetically you're probably predisposed. You're more likely to, to uh, develop diabetes if you smoke. If you have an inactive or sedentary lifestyle, if you have high blood pressure, if you have high cholesterol, specifically LDL cholesterol, if you have a history of heart disease or stroke, if you have a history of depression, if you continually eat inflammatory foods, which, by the way, we're going to talk about some inflammatory foods here soon, or if you're one of those folks that just can't turn away from eating the refined sugar and processed carbohydrates on a regular basis. Speaking of inflammatory foods, is there a relationship to inflammation and diabetes? Hmm, interesting. Let's, let's, let's look into that a little bit. There are a few things to be concerned, concerned with when considering inflammation within our body and its cumulative effects on our long-term health. Again, I'm foot stomping the cumulative effect because we all experience inflammation on occasion, uh, but it's that cumulative effect of this happening over and over and over again that causes the problems long-term. Many scientists today believe that inflammation actually has a direct relationship to diabetes. Hmm. I don't know. Are you, are, are you, are you connecting the dots there a little bit? So we've talked about foods in the past, um, being nutrient deficient, having things in it that cause inflammations. Inflammations have a direct relationship to diabetes. Hmm. Things that make you go, hmm. It, it's well known and research shows it that obesity and insulin resistance are linked. 
which is no secret. That's been out for quite a few years. What's not well known is how inflammation relates to insulin resistance. Are, are you starting to connect those dots? Okay, so stay with me. Inflammation affects our immune system, and type 2 diabetes is an autoimmune disease. What does this mean for you and I? Well, diabetes is a divert, is a disease whereby the immune system produces antibodies that attack the body's normal tissue. Again, it's something good that the body was done to, designed to do, doing something a little abnormal because of the things that we're, we're generating a cause for. Before 2011, type 2 diabetes was classified as a metabolic disease, and researchers didn't make the correlation between the two. However, in 2011 beyond, type 2 diabetes was reclassified as an autoimmune, autoimmune disease. Shortly after that, in an article published in um, uh, a magazine called Nature, which is a multidisciplinary science journal, uh, researchers found and reported that a particular antibody prevented rats from developing type 2 diabetes in their lab studies. That specific antibody is now known today as anti-CD20. Again, it's anti, I guess, anti-CD20. Inflammation is a key to the immune system when it comes to diabetes. Why? Hmm. Because inflammation in the immune system's response is the response of the body to protect itself. For example, let's say... Let's say you, you bang your elbow or, or you twist it or, or strain it or hurt it in some, some way. Your immune system kicks in right away. Um, and it kicks in and creates a inflamed environment and swelling around the site of the energy, injury. I think probably 99% of us have experienced some sort of swelling after we've, you know, either done something we weren't supposed to do or we've banged ourselves or hurt ourselves accidentally. Yeah, twisted a knee, banged an elbow, something like that, and immediately we see the swelling, um, and it and it becomes real soft and gushy, and it hurts. Well, um, this is the body's way of, of cushioning that area, and that pain is also there to remind you, don't hit it again, and help protect it while it's healing. Um, it, it also promotes insulin resistance through the influence of what is called T cells and the production of. Uh, other certain pathogenic antibodies. Um, again, um, that insulin resistance. However, this is actually a very natural process. Um, so the problem is, is not the localized swellings and inflammations we get become a, because of an injury. The problem is this uh, insulin resistance that is produced because we have uh, chronic inflammation throughout the body for long periods of time. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that in the future as well. Another direct relationship that's better understood today than in the past is that of chronic stress and how it increases inflammation and thus overtaxes the immune system. Huh. Have you ever thought about stress and how that impacts your body? And did you ever think that actually might increase inflammation throughout the body? Um, I think if people have experienced stress over long periods of time, they probably can sort of make a relationship with the immune system. Uh, this is one of the main reasons why chronic stress increases the risk of most diseases today. Um, have you ever noticed when you're, uh, you're going through a stressful period in your life, either physically or emotionally, um, 
and you know you, you seem to become physically ill uh, either in conjunction with the event that's happening or very shortly after uh, I, I know i've experienced it i've i've seen it experienced in my family and those people close to me um and uh the person's you know our, our immune system is is not functioning nor functioning normally during this period of increased stress and the stress induced inflammation consumes a lot of resources and energy the body needs to fight infections elsewhere so uh, there's lots of reasons why this is a bad thing uh, continual inflammation continues to drain the body we're going to talk about that um, but this may also be why uh, uh, a publication called the science daily um, it says that the lifestyle stress of most adults today is resulting in a shortening of our lifespan by 2.8 years. Again, a shortening of lifespan. Um, and each one of these I've mentioned are things that we can prevent, uh, but we are actually doing these things to ourselves. Well, let me give you a geeky analogy because I'm, I'm a geeky guy sometimes. So let me give you a geeky analogy. Let's say you're, uh, let's say you work for NASA, NASA and you are piloting a spaceship throughout through the galaxy to explore the galaxy and, and and keep in mind you only have a finite amount of power for all your needs of your spaceship your life support propulsion heat navigation etc uh, if one of these systems begins to draw more power because it's not functioning normally um, and it begins to draw more power than it normally is required another system in your ship uh, must suffer it must give up power that it requires, you know, very similarly, our bodies have a design balance and most of our long-term health impacts are derived from our failure to care for that balance properly. Um, again, something we can prevent, but as one part of our body begins to need more energy to repair itself because of something we've done to it and not care for it, it takes away from another function in the body. You only have so much, uh, just something to think about. Um, let's talk just a quick moment about sugar, inflammation, and diabetes. Oh my goodness. I'm going to talk about sugar. You know, that, that white, uh, that white stuff that's, uh, you know, you know, legalized addictive, uh, you know, crack for us, you know, in our food. So yes, I'm going to talk about it for a minute because it is, it, it does a lot of bad things for us today. Um, of all the food products, both natural and processed, uh, one stands above all others in its relationship to obesity, diabetes, and brain health, and that is sugar. Um, very direct correlations, a lot, of, a lot of science, a lot of study to prove that, and quite frankly, we need to be doing our best to start turning away from processed sugars as much as humanly possible. Uh, for example, foods with genetically modified beet sugar, for example. Um, uh, this type of sugar is mostly used in uh, like candies and sweetener products, uh, especially within the United States, uh, but it can cause inflammation in your digestive tract. And uh, we're going to talk a lot more about the digestive tract, the, uh, um, the gut biome, gut health, and how it impacts our overall uh, long-term health and affects so many other things in our body. Uh, we're going to be talking a lot more about that in the future. Um, but your immune system responds to this type of sugar by creating inflammation in your GI tract. If you eat these types of foods regularly, 
uh, and constantly, as most Americans do today, this inflammation can cause chronic, um, and this the inflammation itself becomes chronic and can spread to other areas of the body. So it no longer becomes normal, um, uh, localized specifically in the gut lining. It begins to spread to other areas of the body. Hence, we start having other problems. As uh, an inflamed immune system is less able to absorb nutrients. Uh, again, when the inflammation inflammation occurs in the gut lining, uh, it's it fails to absorb the nutrients that it needs to sustain other functions in the body. And if you're taking in food that are already nutrient deficient um, to begin with, um, you're getting even less nutrient uh, value uh, through the lining of your of your uh, of your gut. So it's. It's a uh, it's a a lose lose scenario for us long term. Uh, when we continue unhealthy amounts of sugar, um, not only does it tax the immune system, it also prevents the inflamed digestive tract from absorbing uh, those required nutrients that the body needs. And and, and uh, we need to be very conscious and cognizant of this. Uh, bottom line, inflammation in the body caused by chronic stress or inflammatory foods can reduce the immune system's ability to keep us healthy. And in today's environment, uh, whether you're thinking about COVID-19 or, or other viral entities out there that we're exposed to on a regular basis, our immunity is critical to our long-term health um, and vitality. So uh, anything we can do individually or as a community to uh, strengthen our immunity, we should be doing that, uh, not only for ourselves, but for the long-term sustainment and care of, of those that we love. Um, over time, this inflammation uh, may contribute to the development of things like type 2 diabetes um, and has been proven and scientifically shown to do that time and time again. What other long-term impacts can you think of uh, type 2 diabetes uh, and, you know, what can we expect from these long-term impacts? And, and I, real quickly, a few things come to mind. Um, and here's just a, a, a few of those I think that are more major impacts to uh, to the growing of diabetes epidemic um, and uh, how it's how it's impacting our life. Um, and some of these are going to be very familiar with you. If you've ever known anyone who's uh, uh, struggled with type two diabetes or worse, um, these things may sound very familiar with for you. Things like blindness, um, uh, depression, and growing mental health challenges, uh, kidney issues, or renal failures. Um, of course, obesity, uh, nerve damages, and, and pain, constant pain, uh, heart disease, uh, foot swelling, as I mentioned before, um, uh, so many people are losing lower extremities as a result of, of diabetes. So you see uh, foot swelling and things like that, uh, decreased circulation, stroke, uh, various skin irritations uh, result, result as, as part of this, and Alzheimer's. Uh, dementia, you know, the teeth and gum problems, uh, sexual dysfunction, and, and, and a host of others uh, are results of this. So, uh, and none of them are good. Now that we understand the causes and, and how our body reacts to some of those things, um, is there any good news? And what can we do to reverse the risk? Well, um, uh, in the next couple of days, uh, I want you to tune in because uh, we're going to do basically part two of this episode. Um, so, uh, and we're going to hear several options that we can do 
that we can all do actually immediately to decrease our risk and, and in some cases avoid type 2 diabetes altogether uh, as well as other chronic illnesses entirely. So uh, tune in for those. Um, we, we will have that posted probably uh, tomorrow or the following day. And uh, so tune in for the second half of this. But until then, my friend, continue to strengthen your body, your mind, and your spirit and live well. <laughs>